and welcome to Movie the Musical, a podcast about movies that have been turned into musicals. I am your host, Ben Kay. We are here to investigate, interrogate, and celebrate the art of adaptation from screen to stage. We are a podcast that loves questions. And today's question is, why can't we all just get along? Why do we all have to be so mean to each other? Why must we live ah, in this cruel, <laughs> bitter world of ours? What is wrong with us as a society? The panel is open. Uh, philosophers have been asking that for eternity, including Tina Fey. <laughs> Constantly, Tina Fey. She, Brilliant uh, philosopher of the 21st century, Tina Fey. Yes, flossy pants herself. <laughs> I, oh God, I have so many, like, caveats to sort of begin this episode with. Um, and we'll get into them in just a second. Uh, of course, we are here to discuss the 2004 film Mean Girls, directed by Mark Waters, and its subsequent musical theatre adaptation, the 2018 Broadway musical theatre adaptation... Mean Girls, the musical, with a book by Tina Fey, music by Jeff Richmond, and lyrics by Nell Benjamin. As always, our wonderful producer and editor, Bran Moorhead, is here. Hello, Bran. Hello, hello. Very fetch, everyone. Looking quite fetch. <sighs> it is. It's a fetch time to be here. How and many term? How many... Like, quotes are from this movie. It's insane. It is a I'm very sure quotable film. It is... The, the dialogue alone has permeated the culture in such a fascinating way that we will get into. And to help us delve into this, of course, she is an alum of Second City and Io. She's an Emmy winner, a Tony nominee. She's a writer on 30 Rock, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmitz. Uh, and the new show, Mr. Mayor. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting word in my earpiece that that buy was wrong. I don't know where the hell I got it from. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, re I tr retract that. Actually, our guest is an alum of Second City and IO. It was half but... right. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that was correct. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you do not have an Emmy. Where is it? Uh, I um, could have it. <laughs> It's a daytime, it's a daytime, a daytime Emmy. Daytime. So, like, I'm not no, proud. No, <laughs> oh, a no, blue-collar no. Emmy. Um, no, she is the uh, artistic producer of Chicago's very own uh, Jackalope Theater Company. Uh, the wonderful Danielle Stack is here. Danielle, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Just dandy. Um, some people might know. Um, in the parlance of uh, the hit uh, comedy film Borat. Uh, Danielle, you are my wife. This is, this is a fact that should be brought up. I was like, where are you going with this Borat <laughs> reference? Oh, come on. <laughs> my wife. There's no I'm, other place it could have gone. I, I guess mean, there's plenty of other places yeah, like, it could have gone. Speaking so of lines places. that have permeated the culture, yeah. But yes, okay, that is, so right, you are, stay. just for, it'll, will it? <laughs> Um, I want to, God, okay, I want to get, I want to throw in a few caveats for this episode. Um, so, 
for clarity's sake, just for everyone listening, um, you've ideally been enjoying uh, this first half of this season where we've talked about uh, a myriad of shows. Um, ep- episodes such as uh, Shrek and The Little Night Music and Great Gardens and Promises Promises. Um, at the time of recording, though, we are recording this the day after uh, the Legally Blonde episode has just dropped. Uh, and I feel really bad because, obviously, if you're listening to this in the present, then you have heard us talk about a wide variety of shows. But for us in this moment right now, all the public has heard is us kind of bashing on shows that we're not huge fans of. And I and to I be don't... clear, it's because they're not good. Is why sure. Yeah. No, no, no. That's <laughs> it's not fair. really a personal thing. No, and like, and listen. I don't want to this I, I never want this to be considered a negative podcast. In any if there is ever any negative criticism of shows, I want it to be backed up by our own uh sort of dramaturgical stances, our own takes on why the material just doesn't work. It is never obviously taste is subjective, and if you like a thing that we do not like, like that that's I'm not saying you shouldn't like it or you're a bad person for liking it. That's just how it works. Um, I only say this just because I hate this musical a lot. Oh, um, yeah, it's God. not good. Um, and, <laughs> um, and I'll say this, and again, because we're going to talk about the film first. Um, it's so fascinating. This musical is arguably like the origin story for this very podcast. Let me explain. Uh, back in... December, the year was 2019, uh, which was about 20 years ago. Uh, this was uh, <laughs> December 2019, um, back in the days where live performance was something that we took for granted. Uh, I wrote uh, reviews. I, was a, I, am, I am both an artist, I am a, I'm both a director and a performer, and I'm also a critic. Um, and I wrote a review for Mean Girls the Musical. It was touring with Broadway in Chicago. I went to see the touring production, and I was not a fan. Um, and I would say I, I really use that review to dig into what is the central thesis of this podcast about the nature of film-to-stage adaptation. Um, so I'm just going to read a brief paragraph from that review to sort of just give, give you a glimpse into where my mind was in that moment and how it has evolved into what we're going to be exploring tonight. I will today, also say whenever. it was the day after Christmas too. It was. So like a very it was Boxing Day, day 2019. <laughs> and then to follow up that day was just like trash was sad. <laughs> um, so here's, here's what I wrote. Quote, the best musical theater adaptations are those that find a way to present their source material in a fresh light. Ideally, they can create a singular piece of entertainment and storytelling that does more than make you think, huh, yeah, that movie was pretty good, maybe I'll watch it again. But Mean Girls is so indebted to its source in such a symbiotic fashion that it doesn't really end up satisfying anyone. Those who have never seen the film will likely be confused or turned off by plot points and jokes that only exist to reward fans of the original. Those who have seen the film will be disappointed by a pale facsimile of the original, watching subtly delivered quips and one-liners fall flat as they're telegraphed to the rafters. 
end quote. That hasn't really changed in the year and a half since I, uh, since I saw Mean Girls. It was, it was fascinating to revisit it, to be like, maybe I was a little harsh. And I'm sad to say, and obviously we'll get this into this in the latter half of this episode, that paragraph still holds up. Um, my f- tell yeah. you how else has little hasn't has little Lilla. to tell you how little else has changed. I was just downtown late last night, and there's still huge billboards for Mean Girls coming to Broadway in Chicago, uh, all over downtown. How sad! So, we are, nothing's wow. changed in a year and a half. Very we are, sad. We are Next stuck to in a, and Zani posters. We are stuck in a moment in time. Oh. This is very, uh, <laughs> very sad. Um, God, Teatro Zin- Zin- Zanzini Zinzani. Zinzani? Zigzags. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, no. <laughs> oh my god. Who knows? The other caveat I want to give... <laughs> mm-hmm. The other caveat I want to give... Um, because as we're recording this, there's news about a fucking plans for a musical theatre adaptation of the hit Netflix miniseries, The Queen's Gambit. Which is a silly thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, I feel like this is like the perfect episode to just- We have it, it's called Chess. It existed, <laughs> it was written by half of ABBA. It's and it true. was great and never got its deserved attention. You, you, you are familiar with that show. You're quite familiar I with did a, I did a, uh, uh, like staged reading. I, reading is strong. It was like a concert. Everything but costumes and set, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I did um, that, I did that same thing for the show Little Me. Um, oh, I okay. one of those, yes, but- Yeah, I was the arbiter and I knew the score. Good musical. I like chess. The game and the show, or just the show? I am awful at the game. I'm awful at checkers, so I'm not Um, good at chess. The point is, and Queen's Gambit. From I mean, Danielle, you watched the Queen's Gambit, um, but I I sort of got pieces of it. Um, it -hmm. seems to be a very introspective piece of media. It's it's fascinating because it's just like there. There's definitely like a couple episodes where I'm just like. That was good. I want more. And then it like finished and I was like, this was not good. Why is everybody like celebrating this so highly? And it's also like based off of like, I think it was like a 1920s book also written by a man. I don't know. I also just like, I mean, the conversation of like men writing women, women writing men, like different writing from different perspectives. So like, and even like the show was like directed by a man. So there was definitely like this, like sexualized nature of her, which was like, why? Like, why do we need to do that? I want to just watch her be good at chess. And then like, she ends up like relying on men and like, Anyway, this is about Mean Girls. It's not about Queen's Gambit. Like, <laughs> it's also I just, a Netflix show, so it's probably about two hours of material stretched into ten and a half hours. Sounds of about right. It's yes, like any other show. Yeah, the first episode. I like that Anya Taylor Joy though. Yeah, she's no. good. She's fine. Anya Taylor Joy's good. I, Scott Frank, who who wrote and directed the show, I mean, he's good. He he wrote this. He was one of the writers for the screenplay for Logan, a movie that I really like. Like he's oh, a ta- yeah. he's a talented guy. Um, I only bring this up mainly just to say, in relation to today's episode, just because you can turn something into a musical, doesn't mean you should. <laughs> That's really what I say. Um, but before we get into the topic of musical theater adaptation, we got to go back to the source, right? Because on movie the musical, just like our current perception of time. 
We move in one direction, baby. We move from the screen to the stage. So we are starting off with a 2004 film, Mean Girls. Um, and as you kind of alluded to before, Brian, maybe I would say it's one of the films from our generation that has permeated the culture in a huge way. Was this, yeah, this mm -hmm. was like my senior year or junior year. I can't remember if it came out in the fall or the summer, but huge movie for high school, like the end of high school. Yeah. And beginning of college. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah we're, like, all, we're all, go ahead. This was like junior year for me. So I was like, oh, it's about like junior class girls. Huh. Let me like watch this. And like, especially like a larger high school, which like I attended, like, did, was it like, oh, that absolutely happened to me? No, but I could definitely like relate to, uh, to all of those clicks and like everything like that. Absolutely. This was uh, April of, 20, of 2004 is when it was released. Um, so mm -hmm. right, right at the end of the school year for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, because I would say we're all, we're all early to mid 30s in this room here. So yeah, I would say we're all, we're all at different levels of high school uh, when this came out. Um, it, and it, like, I'm sure, I believe it was probably, like, huge on DVD. I know it was on TBS, like, all the time. It was one of those that just, like, was on TV mm -hmm. constantly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, and, yeah, just, like, so many lines have permeated the culture in this, in this fascinating way. Um, Danielle, I mean, you, we were watching, we watched this together, we, we live in the same home together. We watched this uh, a few nights ago. Uh, mm -hmm. And you were, like, practically, like, speaking along with the film. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, like y'all said, it, like, has permeated the culture so much. And I feel like its lines and taglines, like, uh, precede the movie. Where, like, I feel everybody nowadays know, like, October 3rd, that's Mean Girls Day doesn't matter if you've seen the movie, you know that it's, like, somehow tied to it. Um, and, like... Get in, loser, yeah, we're going it, blank. It's, like, a Joe Biden meme mm -hmm. now. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, literally. Yeah, and like, people probably don't even know that's from that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, the whole, like, now you see, like, there's the, like, Regina standing on the steps, crossing her arms, where everyone's, like, fighting around her, and it's, like, Regina, me, and then everyone else has, like, you know, the things traveling around them. <laughs> <laughs> it's it was fascinating to revisit this um so yeah i mean i i remember liking the movie a lot growing up mm -hmm. fun movie good good and like yeah i mean because like obviously we'll we'll talk about the tina fey of it all who is just again just like a fascinating writer <laughs> Is sort of the, is the word I will give right now. We can delve into the implications of what I mean when I say that, but um, yeah, it is just it is a film that I think more people should watch, should rewatch, who remember it fondly from their childhood because yeah, it is a it is a it is a good film with a lot of baggage. Is kind of Am the way I... that I would sum it up. Literally everything Tina Fey's ever done is describable that way. Yes, she but, a, but yeah. like, uh, I think I was, like, I was I was texting mm -hmm. someone about this the the other day. I think she is. I think there is no question that Tina Fey is a talented, funny writer. Like absolutely, 
like that, no, no question. I think she has what I would say is a very sort of old school, uh, sort of version of what she thinks comedy is. I think you know, mm-hmm. and, and again, this is all this is all prescriptive. This is all subjective. This is just me, uh, prescribing something onto Tina Fey just from her work, um, and from her lack of commentary or or on sometimes her commentary on her own work, um. I think Tina Fey comes from this school of usually, predominantly white comedy writers. Not always, but what? predominantly white <laughs> comedy writers. I know. Uh, where whiteness is a base, and, and oftentimes mm-hmm. maleness is a base. Um, but you, predominantly whiteness is a base. And everything outside of that base is rife for c- comedy. And yes. so, like anything mm-hmm. outside of what is considered for her a norm can be made into a joke. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. and that just obviously you're number one, you're leaving people out of your comedy when you do that, because you are saying that they are outside of the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's also just like, because most of her work, and it's, I think it's also just fascinating how much of her work has been in tandem with Lorna Michaels. Um, yeah. an extremely unproblematic figure who has never done anything wrong. Uh, in yeah, another fascinating fun. individual. Yes, exactly. I want to like, keep and I don't, don't want to. Yeah. I know. I am. And I don't want. Like again. Like this is just the way that a lot of people were brought up in how they view comedy and how they view what is funny and what is okay. I'm doing air quotes to make fun of. I mean, just like, yeah, so that, and that's watching Mean Girls, I mean, yeah, watching any Tina Fey project, really, is looking at what Tina Fey considers to be normal, and what considers to be able to make fun of. Um, and listen, like... Well, it's interesting, yeah. too, though, because, like, 30 Rock is, like, the whole premise of that show is self-deprecation, you know? Yes. Like, Liz Lemon is Tina Fey mm-hmm. to an extreme, and ostensibly she would, like consider her view of the world like the normal view, a white woman, at the, especially by the time she's making 30 Rock, an affluent white woman in New York City. Mm-hmm. But most of the show's based around what, like, a slob and, like, loser that she is. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. it's that interesting yeah. dichotomy, because I think that show is, with the exception of, like, Veep and some other Ianucci properties, probably the most laughs per minute of any sitcom of all time. Absolutely. Like, it is a very, yeah. very funny show. And Tracy Morgan's work on it is just some of the best, like, yeah. comedic stylings in... I know! Yeah. It's he amazing. I mean, yeah, that show literally coined the phrase EGOT. Like, it, that's, like yeah. if you're talking about, uh, mm-hmm. talking about things that have permeated the culture. Yeah, no, and like... But then, like, yeah, then you get into things like uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, where she literally did a whole episode making fun of people uh, who are offended oh, by by racist uh, caricatures. There's like, because the whole what first season, season of, is that because well, the the whole first season of Kimmy Schmidt is about how uh, Jane Krakowski's character is Native American. Yes. Oh my god, um, I completely forgot about that. Wow, um, yeah. So Ooh, see, it's I a know. lot of for for those of you who can't see, it's a lot of like grabbing Damn. your collar like an old vaudeville guy and going, <laughs> But and then but then the and so humor. the second yeah. season had an episode where Titus where Titus does a show like pr- about like 
in a past life how he was like a geisha and so he like dresses up as a geisha and then this like uh asian american like activist group <laughs> and i forget the acronym but it's like real it's like clearly like they're supposed to be like she's making fun of them and how they're getting offended by this like thing and it's like a lot of people saw that as her commenting on the jane krakowski situation and again yeah so it's this thing of just like how how she views comedy well, like, and how she views in... how she views race as something to be made fun of. A lot of black even and yellow face watching in her the, old like... stuff. Yes. Yeah. Well, like even watching the Mean Girls musical, like she definitely sprinkled that in there. Like there was a lot of like I felt oh. like this like older like person just being like, oh, you can't make fun of anything anymore. Y'all's like you know opinions are like wild now. Like. You know, like, yeah. And you, I mean, I will say, Ben will tell you too, I went a, not overboard with research, but like I reread most of Bossy Pants, just like trying to get into the mindset of Tina Fey. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> what makes you you? <laughs> and like, it's definitely like when I read it, I hadn't uh, watched 30 Rock yet. And now having watched 30 Rock, I didn't realize like Donald Glover was the only black man, only person of color on that writing team. Like, what was it like for him being in that room with like Tina Fey and a bunch of like older white, like comedy writers, like in the, in like, I don't know, just like, what was that environment like for him too? You know, and like the power dynamics of like, uh, getting your like jokes heard or anything like that, um, and then yeah. that's the dynamic of the writer room on the show. <laughs> yes, too, exactly. Where they have one mm-hmm. black guy, yeah. and yeah. he went to Harvard. You know, know. yeah, so uh-huh. strange. <sighs> yeah, and so let's rewind to this. Yeah, so that's that's <laughs> us sort of semi digging into Tina Fey as a comedy writer. Um. As as someone who uh, I don't know, maybe should do some active listening. Maybe shouldn't focus so much of a career on a property that is all about calling out cruelty when there's some cruelty sprinkled throughout your own work. Um, that is well. That I'll... seems to be a theme of this show. That's what I'm saying. Isn't it? Like musicals, completely missing the point of their not only their source material but the yeah. show that they're making. Yeah. Very fascinating. Well, what's wild, too, is that, like, even, like, yeah, Mean Girls and Musical misses the mark. I would say even, like, the movie completely misses the mark. Because, uh, like, her movie is based off of <laughs> this book. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, okay, uh, great. So, yeah. So, let's, yeah. So, let's, so, let's do this. So, so da- again, like Danielle alluded to, she... I like she said this, so this is not me saying this. She went overboard with her dramaturgical research yes, we say into this episode. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Mean Girls is based on a self-help book from for parents. Uh, it's called right. So yeah, you have it right there. You borrowed it from I have the library. It right here. Yes, please support <laughs> your libraries. Um, it's Queen Bees and Wannabes, and yeah, it's a nonfiction help book for parents trying to relate to their daughters like in high school and like navigating clicks and all that and it's so strange because it's just like in the movie you don't like notice you don't really get any like parent relationship or parent like trying to help their child at all the most you get 
really is like Amy Poehler, like trying to connect with her daughter to the extreme of like being her daughter. Um, yeah, she's a cool mom. Yeah, yeah, she, she's not like a regular mom. She's a cool mom. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Again, another line. And again, this is a very quotable film. She knows how to write a funny, memorable line. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no ifs, ands, or buts about that. The the book is by Ro- what's her, the name of the author again? Rosalind Wiseman. Amazing. And, uh, and that's an updated version you have. Yes. yes. So she had uh, another version that was like 2002, and apparently, like in addition to having this book, but she also like travels the country and like goes to different schools and leads workshop workshops with young girls of like navigating it kind of like all the the um scene and mean girls wherever tina fey's character tries to like you know get to the bottom of like the click situation or whatever um yeah but the copy i have raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by regina george it is that scenario is like word for word in this book and it's like amazing yeah it even says like now the queen bee will say that this school does not have a click problem but really all the girls are afraid of this person um but yes this version that i have has been updated for the social media world um (laughs) it's very funny there was a passage where like you could also kind of tell this woman's age uh, she was referring to like whether your like child is uh, posting on MySpace or Twittering. I'm like Twittering. <laughs> what is that word? <laughs> love that. Oh God, I love the nomenclature. Oh, they took inspiration for that for the musical too. Add some social media buzzwords. Yeah. Oh yeah, you have to. You mm-hmm. have to. Um, That's an update. You know that counts. <laughs> that constitutes an update now. Um, I mean, listen. I I love hearing about non-fiction stuff being updated being adapted into fiction stuff like i mean yeah good on tina fey for like finding a creative way of adapting this literal self-help book that's kind of wild um yeah yeah it is kind of wild like there's definitely like some points where like the whole cafeteria thing of like where to sit so the reason like that is in there is because Rosalind in her book had asked like a couple of young girls to uh, draw their cafeterias of where the cliques are. So that's like based on like, well, no like picture in the book is like exactly like what's in the film, but like that whole idea is based off of that. And then in the book, uh, she kind of breaks down the types of people that are in cliques where it's like the queen bee the sidekick, the banker who has everybody's secrets and like um, the kind of the hierarchy in them. And it's kind of fascinating where Gretchen in the movie embodies like a couple of them. Um, But Karen is none of them. She is just like the stereotypical like dumb character which is sad that like we'll tina uses her we'll get into as a prop, you know we'll get into karen and amanda seyfried and all of that good stuff um the final piece of sort of like uh business i want to set up before we delve into the plot of this film because again luckily the musical and the film pretty much share an identical plot give or take a few elements um i want to talk about of course the film uh is directed by mark waters um, the uh, younger brother of Daniel Waters, screenwriter of Heather's. Oh, 
right? Which is, and I mean, and of course, Heather's is sort of like the the next. I would say is like an early version of this film to an extent. You know, you got the, mm-hmm. the trio, the trio of mean mean teenagers who invite a fourth into their clique. So it's it's just it's fa- obviously Mark didn't write this film, but it's fascinating that it's sort of it, they kept that theme in the family. Um, oh, without Heather's, there wouldn't be Mean Girls. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to just also, of course, uh, name off some other films in Mark Waters' filmography, because, of course, I always love uh, seeing what they're up to. Uh, Mark Waters also made Freaky Friday, another classic, and uh, with Lindsay Lohan. So, of course, there was a mm-hmm. familiarity there. Um, he also made such hit films as uh, Just Like Heaven. Not good. <laughs> no. Nope. Just watch that one. Just recently watched that one. Not not good. It doesn't so my hold spouse up. and I have been doing a like a big like rom com rewatch for about the past year of just trying to hit every rom com in the like American and British canon. And so oh, that one wow. Reese has come up a lot, of course. Yeah. Um, but uh uh that one we watched about a year ago. I think that's one with Mark Ruffalo like lives in a dead woman's apartment. Is sure is, yeah. Thing. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. not a good movie. The ending is absolutely insane where she's not dead. She's in a coma and he goes and tries to steal her body from the hospital because they're going to pull her off life support, but he knows she's not really like brain dead or whatever. So like is stealing the body of Reese Witherspoon from the hospital at the end and like gives her CPR to wake her up in the middle of a bunch of doctors and then gets, and she wakes up and is like, who are you? Of course. And then like goes to jail. So, yeah, insane. I mean, I think they get together after that, but absolutely oh, wow. batshit insane movie. Oh, wow. Uh, wow, I no, can't believe you. she was just uh, saved by CPR. <laughs> I know. And, like, he's, like, they rent her apartment, but she's been in a coma not that long. Like, it can't be that long. A couple months, and he's living in her apartment already? It's a bizarre. Oh, my God. Um, um, I just, I'll quickly just uh, shout out just other uh, films in his filmography very quickly. Uh, the Spiderwick Chronicles, of course. Uh, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. Mr. Popper's Penguins. Oy. Vampire Academy. Oy. And Bad Santa 2. Mm. Fascinating. I always love it. And, wow. and this, yeah, And this movie of, movie, of course, was produced by Lorne Michaels, uh, a wonderfully unproblematic figure who has never done anything wrong. Uh, Fascinating. So... St. Lorne. Yes. Um, and I will say, I did read that originally Tina Fey was going to make the film more focusing on the teacher, cat, her, her character, Ms. Ms. Norbury, right? I think that's the teacher's name. Um, yeah, Miss Norbury. Yes. Um, but why? But then as she was writing, she, I, I don't she, but then as she was writing it, she found that the teenage characters were more interesting and that's where her that's where she realized that she was going to write more about them as the main characters. Yep, that makes sense. Um this film starts uh, as all great films do uh about a family of uh, Americans living in Africa. Just Africa. <laughs> Number 1. <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> just blanket just I'm getting this like they don't even say Kenya in the in no, the in the, huh? in the so, yeah they, no, they wonderfully they the glorious country yeah. of Africa they fantastically yeah. specify that in the musical they they do make it specifically Kenya uh in the in the show so good on them sure um but yeah the film is just Africa I'm from Africa which and even just that's 
so much fucking baggage just th- right mm-hmm. then and there just like being able like being able to traffic in all these like stereotypes um about africa using a white character just weird not good yeah and she like not uses good. him like throughout the movie whenever like she has the daydreams about like them like turning into animals and fighting like that because she's thinking like you know back to like her roots and everything and it's just like come on like you're you're perpetuating this yeah, no, it's, 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 more it's, it's, yeah yeah no it's, it's just this perpetuation of africa is just like this like wild like uh like mm-hmm. safari land where animals roam free every yeah it's just and it's yeah it's again it's just like anything that is outside of america can be made fun of because it's funny because it's not it's because it's not Evanston. Um, so yeah, so 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 Katie Heron. Uh, yeah, this is of course this is a wonderful Chicago Land film. Uh, so good on us. Um, so Katie Heron, uh, played by Lindsay Lohan, uh, her parents are zoologists, and they uh, move back to Evanston. Uh, well, they, they, I don't know if they're from Evanston, but that's where they moved to uh, in the north suburbs of Chicago Land. Um, and Katie is finally going to go to high school, but. It's not as easy as she thinks. Um, what's she gonna do? Um, and I and I will say, Lindsay Lohan, pretty good in this movie. She gives a nice on top of the world at this point in her career. Too, oh right? yeah, this is like right before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is before. This is right before spiral. the fall. Yes. Um, but yeah. she is given a lovely performance here. I think she's she's fine. You know, like yeah. I will say, Katie. It, it, there's not much really required of Katie, you know? Like, I feel like things happen to her and then she is, like, made? I don't know, you know? Like, it's fine. (laughs) She is okay in this movie. She is doing her role as the the lead, the young lead in this. I would argue that, like, the plastics are the better performances. (laughs) I would would argue... They've got more to chew on, too. For sure. Yeah, they're they're much more, like, character roles, the plastics. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say the best performance uh, in this film uh, is Tim Meadows as the principal. (laughs) Um, Principal Duval. Um, Here's the thing about Tim Meadows. pretty great. (laughs) Yeah. He, uh, arguably, he is the best performance in every movie he is in. I think he is one of the most underrated actors, especially underrated comedy actors. I mean... He is in the two best musical parody films of all time, Walk Hard and Popstar. Um, he is yeah. just, and he, de- I, d- I don't know what it is. I think it's just like the way that he, de- he delivers lines in a way where like, it's like, path- like proudly pathetic. I don't even know like what it is about his cadence he as an has actor. This, like level of sincerity like, you know, where, I mean, Walk Hard, obviously that movie also has, like, such a level of sincerity, but, like, his performance, like, he fully on believes everything is taken so seriously. That's what makes him such a great comedic actor, because none of this is ridiculous. This is all just facts. And you never once paid for drugs. (laughs) Not once. That's a a Walk Hard reference. Not a Mean Girls reference. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he's got he's like deadpan king, and that's what he that's what he made his like career and role on SNL when he was on there too. Mm-hmm. The straight man, sort of, in a lot of those sketches with uh, Will Ferrell or whoever it was with him. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and I will say, um, there is a direct to I don't know if it was a TV or direct to DVD sequel, Mean Girls Two. Mm-hmm. ABC Family. I ABC just Family. Thank you so uh, much. Now, Brian. free uh, form. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, Disney Plus Plus. Yeah, you go. Uh, And Tim Meadows does reprise his performance in that film. Very strange. Mm -hmm. I bet he got a lot of money for that. Oh, yeah. He is, as he should have. Listen, he is someone who deserves to be like the lead in every single project he's in. But if he is someone who's just like coasting by, like raking in cash by giving these stellar supporting roles, I mean, good on him. Like, you do you, my dude. You're a fucking gem. Um, but either way, Katie makes friends uh, with Janice and Damien. Uh, Janice, of course, is played by Lizzie Kaplan. Um, and Damien is played by uh, Daniel Frenzies. Uh, I, kn- I don't know if I'm pronouncing his surname correctly, but that's how it is spelled. I apologize. Um, very fun roles, like very fun... Uh, like, side character, like, best friend. Obviously, like, Damien is, like, this sort of, like, uh, like gay stereotype. And Janice is this sort of, like, artsy, like, rebel. Uh, like, a, like an angry Daria, if you will. Um, if you were to prescribe a type to her. Um, sure. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, and obviously, yeah, Damien has a... Damien probably has, like, some of the best lines in the film. Uh... Obviously, Danny DeVito, I love your work. Classic line. Yes. Uh, we'll get it to, to so obviously, good. the she doesn't even go here is just like a wonderful moment. Iconic. Iconic. It's just, again, just, yeah, it's, again, just, that just comes out, of, again, and they just, they come out of nowhere, and that is very fun. He's just a very fun actor as well. Uh, but yeah, then they sort of like show uh, Katie the ropes. Um, Janice also. I don't, I don't think they address it in the film. Janice constantly mispronounces Katie's name. Constantly. Yeah, she does. And, like, I think we even talked about this, too, a little bit when we were watching it. But it's just, like, they're not nice to her either. No one is nice to Katie. And, like... <laughs> there aren't a lot the of nice... That... There aren't a lot of, like, full-on nice characters in this film. Yeah, they were like, cool, don't sit in that chair, don't sit in that chair. And it's like, okay, why don't you tell her which chair to sit in when she's, like, in class? Um, But, yeah, the whole, like, calling her a caddy thing, it's just, like, a blatant, like, I don't respect you thing, you know? It's mean. Mean girls, mean guys. Mean Mean girls, mean guys. Mean, mean non-binary you, friends. Yeah. yeah, mean mean NBs, just mean everyone. Uh, mean bees. Oh, mean bees. Mm, God, is, sat- <laughs> is it Saturday mornings? Mean bees. <laughs> uh, so I- wait, we're which? So we should go around. Uh, were you a queen bee or a wannabe in high school yourself? <laughs> Lord, I was. I was a hundred and ten percent not a queen bee. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if I was a wannabe. A drone. Then. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just like went around high school and granted, I'm sure if you ask someone else who like I went to high school with, they'd be like, oh, you are absolutely this person, you know? Cause it's like, it's kind of a little hard to have like 
self-reflection more than 10 years ago of what sure. you were. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Yeah. Bran, Bran what will be you? Uh, I mean, I was not a queen bee either, but I was well-liked. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, we're all in theater, so I don't think any of us were. I was like, say I was. Oh, I also I went to a very small high school. I went really? to a very small religious high school, uh, and I was like the one person who unabashedly liked theater, like no mm. one else did. Um, mm. So yeah, that was my experience, and I don't want to talk more about it. Um, but <laughs> uh, but then Katie. Meets, as we uh, referred to before, the plastics uh, made up of uh, Regina George, uh, Gretchen Wieners, uh, and what is Katie's last name again? Uh, Karen Smith. Katie, Karen, oh, sorry, Karen Smith. Yeah, Regina George, Gretchen Wieners, and Karen Smith, uh, played respectively by Rachel McAdams, Lacey Chabert, and Amanda Seyfried. Um Three wonderful performers, and yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, they just—they have—they just—they're those are just—they're just big, juicy character roles, so they just have a lot more to play with. But I am so thrilled with sort of the recent comic renaissance that Rachel McAdams has been having. Yeah, because I think she's so funny. I mean, mm -hmm. between Game Night, which I think is sort of like one of the only recent mainstream comic masterpieces and Eurovision, really? which is also a funny movie um, that she is very funny in. Um, yeah, no, she, and Rachel McAdams just like knocks it out of the path, park in both of those uh, films. And I think she's great here, obviously. Um, she is, she does not look like a high school senior. Well, because um, but she's not. It, well. <laughs> she was 26 <laughs> when she made that movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, was this before or after The Notebook? This was before and I think, like, probably The Notebook came out wow. right after. Yeah, it had to be close. Mm -hmm. uh, the Notebook, yeah, it's a month later. Oh, well, like, wow. like, like two, two months later. What a year yeah. for her. Damn. I know, honestly. Good for her, though. Great. No yeah. Huge 2004 for Rachel McAdams. Um, Lacey Chabert, again, she does great work. I think she she was, of course, the voice of Eliza Thornberry in the Wild Thornberries. Um, Did not know that. Yes. Wild. Lost yeah. in Space. Lost in Space. The voice really of Ma the voice of Meg Griffin in the first season of Family Guy. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and she's appeared in eighteen Hallmark films. Woo! Good for her. Great. Um, and Get then, of course, money. her and Vanessa Hudgens. <laughs> just making Christmas movies all year round. Why not? Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the the star of Mank, uh, Amanda Seyfried. <laughs> uh, on, honestly, mm -hmm. she is the best part of Mank. She's not going to lie. Watch it. On yeah, it is a pretty looking movie with a good Amanda Seyfried performance. That is the reason to watch Mank. Mm -hmm. um, Mank. What if there was a Mank? <laughs> I but prefer yeah. her work in Mankamia. Uh, what about Mankamia? <laughs> uh, uh, here I mank again. Here we mank yeah. again. Here we mank again. Mank, mank. How can I remank ya? Uh, oh, Lord. Hell yeah. Yeah, I was about we to could. be like, well, <laughs> three hours so, later. So let's, so let's actually, I want to talk about these characters. So Regina, yeah, she is like the the head of the pack. They use a lot of animal metaphors, both in uh, the film and the musical. They just sort of they run wild, if you will, with the boo. with the hey, oh, boo. Uh, 
yeah, so they run... So, yeah, she is sort of the... As they describe her in the musical, she's the apex predator. She is the the head of the pack that that has these sort of, like, para, these social relationships and it feeds off of other people. Um, and then you have Gretchen Wieners, who is, like, the right-hand girl. Her hair is full of secrets. And then, you, mm-hmm. and then of course, you have Karen, uh, whose uh, main character characteristic is... She's an idiot. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> um, and like, I don't know. It's so weird because like outside of like the fantasy sequences where the high schoolers act like animals, I feel like the film is pretty much supposed to be like taken at face value. It's supposed to be pretty like quote unquote realistic. It isn't like a stylistically out there film for the most part. So then to have a character like Karen who is just stupid <laughs> it kind of rubs me the right and, and again like as well as amanda seyfried is doing and she's fucking knocking knocking these this thing out of the park it does feel not great to me i don't know i guess i don't know i feel like it's a pretty long comedy tradition of somebody being dumb yeah. sure. i mean like dumb blonde is absolutely like a very specific stereotype they're leaning into but like just really stupid person. Pretty funny usually. So I don't know. Also, I was like reading online, just like other mean girls things. Someone made a point where like Karen's not really mean. Yeah. Like she's, she's just there. She's like in the plastics because she is hot. And then Gretchen is not super mean as well. She just like, has everybody's secrets and like is kind of the right hand man of Regina. Regina is the only one who is like evil, quote unquote. But yeah, um, I forgot where I was going with that. Anyways, oh well, oh well. Um, but yeah, so either <laughs> either way, uh, Regina and the Plastics are like they take an interest in uh, Katie because uh, she is played by Lindsay Lohan, and so they invite her into her uh, group of friends. Um, of course, uh, Karen has uh, the oft-quoted line, oh my god, uh, what is it? Like, oh, you're from Africa. Why uh, are you why white? Are you white? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, whatever. You can't just ask people why they're white. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, you, you, you can't. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew fair. what I was going to say, Ben. Uh, Do it. Because you were kind of talking about how, like, it, it is weird to have Karen be such, like, a dumb character that it doesn't necessarily fit within a movie. It kind of does, though, because, like, the movie is so heightened at times. Like, sure. there are the cutaways of, like, someone's filming all these girls uh, kind of confession-esque uh, of, like, I hear Regina, like, does car sure. commercials in Japan. Yeah. And then, like, that whole fight breaks loose, you know? Like, it is is a very heightened movie, so, like, I feel Karen's... Uh, it, and not not intelligence, but like the personality of Karen is heightened. Fair, ain't your that is a completely fair point, and I will cede to you on that. Um, either way, uh, Janice and Damien are like, oh shit, you can be like our undercover uh, spy in the world of the plastics, because Janice hates Regina, because uh, you find out that like Janice and Regina used to be best friends, and then uh, for whatever reason, Regina doesn't invite. Uh, Janice to her like pool party and then like spreads this rumor that she is a lesbian um, 
and that upsets Janice, and that sort of like, and that sort of like, it makes her like some social pariah. Um, yeah, not a fan. Uh, mean girls, girl, the girls are mean. Um, we find that, then we go back to uh, yeah. So there's the sequence where they go to the mall. Um, the mall they like presented as like the watering hole for one of those uh, aforementioned heightened sequences. Uh, we go back to Regina's mansion of a home, uh, where we meet her mom, played by uh, Amy Poehler, who, as we again alluded to before, she's not a regular mom. She's a cool mom. Um, and again, Amy Poehler, very funny. Like, n- not really a hot take. She's a funny actor. Uh, and then we see uh, the burn book, which uh, Regina has. It is this big old pink book. Mm-hmm. It says burn book. It has uh, pictures of... Uh, different people from school. I think the girls from school, rather. I be- I believe it is like uh, specifically uh, the the girls from school and saying mean things about them. Mm-hmm. And Janice is in, and then Katie says something about Damien. He he she parrots the line that Janice said about him being too gay to function. And then they throw it in the book, and it's like, oh no, Katie fucking said a mean thing. Um, but now that now she knows about the book and. We have this piece of information, but Katie also, in her math class, has a little crush <gasps> on Aaron on Aaron Samuels, uh, played by uh, could could be played by anyone, but he's played by <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Jonathan Bennett, the host of Halloween Wars on the Food Network. Great. Congrats, dude. He also has a cookbook dedicated to main girls. What? Weird. Yeah. It's a weird Listen, title about like uh how to like get out of like plastic or something alluding to like prepackaged so food. Funny. Yeah. You can okay. there is so much merch and franchise opportunity. Obviously, we'll get into that. There's so much franchise opportunity from this uh property. I mean, there's a property in the this piece of content in the modern parlance, <laughs> uh, if you will. Um, but then we find out that Aaron Samuels used to date Regina. So he's off limits. We do not date our friends' exes. That's like against feminism <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> that is one I of believe. my favorite lines of the rewatch of just like, that's like the rules of feminism. And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> just like people putting like the sticker of feminism on anything. <laughs> I know. Also, I do like, you see, we run into, uh, we run into Ms. Norbury, who, yeah, the, the math teacher played by Tina Fey, I I do kind of love that Tina Fey is cast as what can be seen as the moral compass of the film. I think that's kind of hilarious, but whatever. Uh, but then she also has a side job working at uh, PJ Calamities, which I think is a funny uh, joke name for a TGI Fridays star restaurant, whatever. Um, but a Halloween party's coming up, and Aaron Samuels invites Katie to it. Katie thinks that she's going to dress up as like a spooky dead wife, but no, you got to dress up like a sexy thing, like a sexy mouse. Duh. Uh, to be correct, she dresses up as an ex-wife. Sure. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Yes. Yes, groans ensue. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I feel like the I'm a mouse, duh, line is like became mm-hmm. fucking huge too. Just huge. like so many of these things. Um, Regina makes Katie jealous by making out with Aaron. Katie's furious. 
She runs back to uh, Janice and Damien. And now they're like, all right, well, now we're going to get our full revenge on the plastics. Or specifically on Regina George. So they are, they concoct this plan where they're going to make Regina gain weight because she's so focused on her body. So they feed her these uh, Calteen bars, which, uh, again, again, fucking perpetuating these African stereotypes. They are what Katie's mom gave to children in Africa who are malnourished. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just like, just again, just, and it's like, ugh, I don't know, it's, Again, just like fucking. I wonder if there was a discussion ever if they wanted to ask Lindsay Lohan to do like a South African dialect or something for the film. Oh god, I don't that, know. Yeah, people pointed that out online. It's just like you spent your whole life in Africa. Yeah. Like, oh, can you imagine? Oh, uh, it would. It would Tina have been torn to shreds. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, so yeah, so they get her to gain weight because it's as we know. It is hilarious when people gain weight. Ha ha! What a fun comic device. Um, whatever. Uh, yeah. I, 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 as we've talked about before, I just I hate any kind of like body image shit used, uh, especially for comedy as a plot device. Just not for me. Especially if it's not. There's nothing clever about no. it. No, it's, it's one lazy. thing if it's yeah, it's real lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um. And then, of course, they... God, what's the other... Oh, yeah, the, the, the candy grams, of course. So this is where we get another mm-hmm. uh, classic bit of... Uh, classic bit of uh, dialogue that has permeated the culture. Uh, Damien... Damien's the one who's dressed up as Santa, right? Yeah. Comes in giving out the candy cane grams. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, very, very good performance. Candy grand grams. Uh, Shane Oman... Four for you, Glen Coco. You go, Glen Coco. Even just that like line <laughs> delivery, I'm just a big fan of. And mm-hmm. yeah, and non forget and non wieners. Bye. Um, we'll get back to Glen Coco because I, I mean I don't know what what do we think it is about that line that again just like sort of blew up. It's just I mean I guess it's just the name the name Glen Coco. Coco. Funny name. Funny yeah. name. Someone's actual name too. Like a lot of these people are named after people in Tina's life. <sighs> yeah. And then we, so what, what, uh, Katie does is that she pretends to get a candy cane gram from Regina to make Gretchen Wieners like jealous. And so she'll crack. And so Gretchen Wieners admits, uh, she spills a secret from her hair that, uh, Regina is cheating on Aaron with Shane Oman in the, what, what, the room above the, the, the projection, projection room, room above above the auditorium and they like they try and like have these like several plans to like try and like catch them in the act it never works um i whatever. think it's what can great you do? swimming practice is going to be held above the projection room and <laughs> yes. it's like any falls for it swimming practice yeah <laughs> damien uh steals like uh steals a, a purse from uh, Katie, and she's like, ah, oh, he's heading for the projection room above the auditorium, which I think is, yeah, just, like, very funny, <laughs> very silly. Um, oh, and then they have this, uh, the winter, like, performance thing, right? They have mm-hmm. that, uh, like, the talent show where they do the... Jingle again, Bell Rock. Not, the Jingle Bell Rock dance, which, again, that's another one. I feel like that image of just, like, the four of them in the Santa costumes is just, like, such a... 
Well, not even that. You got that being iconic, but then you also got Amy Poehler with the video camera being iconic, which has now turned into uh, Kris Jenner. Like whenever she was in, uh, I think it was Ariana Grande's Thank You Next video, which is now a thing. That is very funny. Layers. So this is like <laughs> layers like an onion. Why exactly. would you do that? Why <laughs> would you bring it back to that green fella? Um and then yeah, during the performance, uh Regina kicks uh the boombox into Jason this guy Jason's face. Whatever, funny. Either way. So yeah, eventually the beans have been spilled to Aaron about Regina cheating. So that relationship is over. Then what happens is uh, Regina has gained so much weight that she can only wear sweatpants. And then she comes to lunch one day on a day where she's not allowed to wear sweatpants, you see. Um, Because they have this like, you know, on Wednesdays we don't wear pink. Uh, On other days we wear other things. So yeah, so uh, because of Regina's silly rules that she cannot follow, she is booted from the table. And now Katie is the queen bee of the group. Go her. Oh, and then, yeah. And I would say just also just like dropping in some like other lines, you know, obviously in the courtship of Katie and Aaron, we have like the, obviously the very famous line where she's like, yeah. And I'll also say that there is the device of voiceover is used pretty often. Like that is sort of mm, like how mm-hmm. we, that's how the film sort of like lets us know the sort of the inner machinations of Katie's mind in the film. Uh, so yes, yeah, so you'll get this point where she's like, um, on October 3rd, he asked me what day it is. What day is it? October 3rd. 3rd. That has become sort of like the unofficial, like a mean girl's day, mm-hmm. I believe. Oh yeah. Um, and then, and then two weeks later he asked, uh, he said it was raining. <laughs> she's again, I don't know. Yeah. Funny. Funny lines, funny. They're so bits. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you hear us laughing at these hilarious comedic gems? We had to mute the laughter. It was just too much. It's too it's much. Been edited for time. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but either way, uh, I'm just trying to remember what. Ha- oh, yeah. So now I believe it's the party next. That now, uh, yeah. So Katie is like. Katie's the head of the queen. Katie's the head of the group, and Regina. Uh, well, you forgot and Gretchen that. and Gretchen and Karen are like, "Well, what are we gonna do this mm-hmm. weekend?" And she's like, "What are you talking about?" And they're like, "Oh, well, let's hang out." Um, but she can't hang out. She's going to see Lady Smith Black Mombazo, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, which I mean, listen, I love Lady Smith Black Mombazo. Yeah, great. Why not? But it's again, it's, it's recently at Steppenwolf. I, yeah, we saw I them. Saw, yeah. We saw them at Steppenwolf, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, um, "Great!" Musicians. They drink a lot of cranberry juice. That's that's just true. That's nothing weird about that. They just <laughs> we went through a lot. I work at the bar, and they they went through a lot of cranberry juice. <laughs> there you go. And, any 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 reason, or just they just like cranberry? I juice. just I think a lot of them don't drink alcohol, and that was just fair. They went. We went through a lot I, of I specifically that. cranberry juice. I love sure. it. Um, <laughs> a lot of tiny cans. <laughs> Very good. Um, but yes. But either way. Oh, and then also this weekend, Janice has an art show, and so Katie, it, Katie's Katie's gone too far. Mm-hmm. She's too deep. She has pretty much become a plastic. Oh she's yeah. Like still, she the the net of popularity has nabbed her. 
and taken her away. She's like like Icarus before her. She has flown cl too close to the sun, and she <laughs> lies about going to Janice's art show to get out of going to Lady Spurs Black Mombasa. Mm. Oh, and also I will say her parents, um, in I would say wasted performances. Uh, her mom is played by Anna Gasteyer, who's an absolute gem. Um, and her dad is played by Neil Flynn, who's also a very fun performer. And it's just like, it's so, like, yeah, like you said before, Danielle, we don't really see a lot of parental figures in the film. And it's, and I'm, I'm curious if, like, there were other scenes with them, because they are such overt comedic actors. It's just so strange to see them in, like, nothing roles in this film. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway. They're nice parents, though. They are lovely parents. Listen, they're, they're almost as nice as, uh, God, who are, who are Emma Stone's parents in Easy A? It's Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci and, oh my God. Oh, who's the mom? No one's as nice as Stanley Tucci. Uh, Patricia Clarkson. Yeah. They are, they, I remember them being very, very nice parents uh, in that film. Um, but whatever. Yes, Neil Flynn and Anna Gasteyer are very lovely parents in this film, too. Um, well, but Katie, arguably, the... like, they're not even, like, really parents, I guess, you know? Because, like, they're just nice people. They technically have never had to, like, parent their child. Like, they didn't even know, like, the concept of, like, disciplining or grounding, really. Like, Well, they homeschooled Katie, right? Yeah, they did homeschool her. Yeah, so I guess, like, she yeah. was so just, like, I don't know if sheltered's the right word, because, like, she's never had to socialize beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so they're either more way, like so, friends, I guess. So there's this gathering at Katie's house that balloons into a party. Mm-hmm. Um, gets out of hand. Everyone's there. Mm -hmm. And she gets, she gets real drunk. And she vom. Oh, and yeah, she's she's been pretending to be stupid in math class so that Aaron can like help her out and tutor her. And yeah, we get to this point where Aaron's just like, "Why, why would you you pretend to be stupid? That's mm -hmm. stupid." Which I mean, yeah, uh, yes, it is very stupid to pretend to be stupid. Don't do that. She ends up vomiting on Aaron. Uh, we find out. Also, there are a lot of fun. I'm just reading my notes. Uh, we find out that uh, Gretchen's dad invented toaster strudel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, great fact. Sure. <laughs> and Daniel, you told me that there was. What did toaster yeah. strudel do? Toaster strudel. Apparently, like last September of 2020, they like came out with a Mean Girls toaster strudel as a homage to like Gretchen Wiener's father. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm like, now I want to just, like, I want to see the box and, like, this. I don't yeah. want to buy it. I'm not going to eat them. Like. <laughs> um, I would eat them. <laughs> I, I, I will eat all of them. Uh, on the record. On the record. Um, but, yes. And then uh, Janice and Damien find out that Katie is having this party and that she didn't go to the art show. And she's become, she's full-on plastic. She's a full-on plastic now. And it's very sad. But Regina has her own plans. She has written a cruel entry about herself in the burn book. She turns it in to Principal Tim Meadows. <laughs> You're not even she... using his name. <laughs> it's Duval. His name's Tim Meadows. <laughs> his name's Thank you, Principal Duval. Um, and then she also photocopies entries of the book and litters it about the hallways of North Shore High. Um, 
but there are three people, there are three uh, girls from the school whose names are not in the book. And it's Karen, Gretchen, and Katie. So, obviously, one they, are, they allude that, obviously, one of them must be the person who wrote the book. Or all three of them. I will say, I am surprised now why they didn't just, like, blame all three of them. Because thinking about it, if they all wrote it, there's different handwriting in that book, too. <laughs> sure. Like, hmm. it's a group of people who wrote it. So... I don't know, because that, even that gets brought up whenever, like, in the future of the film, Katie, like, I wrote the book. Like, okay, so then is she just, like, you know, messing with her handwriting? It's strange. It's very strange. <laughs> uh, yes, but then all-out bedlam mm-hmm. uh, ensues. Uh, uh, students attacking each other, of course, because, uh, because as we alluded to, uh, Tina Fey's style of comedy... Uh, two, I believe, uh, they are, I believe they are Vietnamese students, two young Vietnamese women just attack each other because that is, uh, funny in the mind of mm-hmm. Tina Fey. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, I, in my mind, not funny. <laughs> just on the record. Uh, not a fan of that moment. And then when one of them uses the N-word later. Yeah. That is also. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> Like, the fact that, like, it's based off of a nonfiction, like, (laughs) reference book. So, like, all of this is in her mind. She put the whole, like, Africa, like, storyline in there. Like, she put the N-word in this movie where it's, like, didn't even call for it. And also, like, you are a white woman. You absolutely should not even be near that word. Like, it's... It's fascinating. Like, in line at with least that. giving it to Tim Meadows to say, if you're going to put it in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, but oh, well, you can't because Tim Meadows, of course, has the great line, I did not leave the South Side for this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe more offensive than a Vietnamese person <laughs> saying the N-word, yeah. honestly. And, and they retain that line for the stage adaptation as well. Yeah. God. Let's, it's we so weird we don't that they need to keep perpetuating line. these. We don't need to keep perpetuating these stereotypes. Just mm-hmm. stop it. Um, so then we have this, uh, we have this assembly where Tina Fey, uh, I, and I do like, uh, I do like Tim Meadows where, where he's like, uh, I will have you here all night if I have to, <laughs> they, they have to, they, they can't be here past four. I will have you here till four. Very, yeah, very, very funny line. Very funny delivery. Uh, Tina Fey leads them through these exercises. We get to, of course, I think maybe my favorite mo- joke in the movie, the one where, uh, you have the girl who's just like, I wish that we could all just uh, give each other, like, uh, things could be happy uh, and s- rainbows. And then, of course, Damien in the hoodie and the glasses. She doesn't even go here. And it's just the <laughs> moment of, like, too, where, like, he bows his head and, like, puts his hand yes, over his yeah, face, the, too. The camera, right? like, goes to him and, yeah, he just moves his head away. Because it's obvious. <laughs> it's very, like, if you... Like, it's obvious as Damien. Everyone in yeah. that, like, auditorium should know, like, he snuck yeah. into this, like, group. So, yeah. Oh, and they're all doing trust... No, 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 no apologies. Uh, they're all doing trust falls, um, and then Janice essentially just, like, spills the beans. She's just like, I I told Katie to do this, and, um, like, everyone sucks. Everyone should stop being mean. Um, Regina bursts out of the school, um, yelling at Katie... 
and she gets hit by a bus. And that's how um, Regina George I, died. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but, and they, I will say, so, near the beginning of the film, on, like, Katie's first day of school, she nearly gets hit by a bus. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, on the rewatch, I was like, oh, that's cute. That they, like, have Katie nearly get hit by a bus. Um, as, like, a subtle foreshadowing, if you will. Um, and there's, like, one line of dialogue before, like, that uh, Katie has in voiceover where she's like, oh, like, my feelings hit me like a big yellow school bus. I'm like, okay, okay. Pump pump the brakes on your school bus foreshadowing, everyone. Um, it's, not, it's not as egregious as the musical, though. We'll get into that. Um, but, yes, either way, Regina. And this was, this was on the heels of Final Destination also. <laughs> Which involves sure. a surprise <laughs> bus hitting. Oh, so wow. it was sort of like going around at the time. I wonder if there was some like string of bus murders in LA and like Hollywood writers were just like, oh, this is good, good, good. I, will, I know what you I, mean, but like in my yeah. mind, I just picture evil buses. Like they're of their own volition. There's no one driving <laughs> them. They're just like out on a rampage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you. As a cyclist in the city, I will say buses are usually my last concern. It's a, sure. it's a Honda Civic Uber driver that's going to murder you every time. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think in high school, probably in college, I just used to watch videos of the final destination deaths i think just because i don't know why because they're just like they're such, good deaths they're, they're, a lot of them they're very fun de- terrible thing to say but yeah they are very fun deaths and i think i just i appreciated the the mania of it all they're so oh, yeah. i mean they're literally like rube goldberg machines oh, of the death. teacher whose computer like explodes <laughs> and then like knives fall off of yes. her ca- kitchen counter i could just what? keeps going so good that's the first one it's awesome yeah There's, daniel have you movies. never seen a final destination film a hundred percent no like i oh, i am man. not and a I, horror person either so i'm like... not even a horror person and i was just like so fixated by these this this the oddball ludicrousness of how the logic of these films um kind of i mean i think that's kind of why i was also a fan of the saw franchise as well right they are they're also oh, sort yeah. of like they had there's these the mechanisms of people's demise um mm-hmm. of their own so i mean that's probably what brought people back to both of those franchises yeah um but we're not here to talk about saw and the, the, we're gonna get to the final destination of this film pretty soon uh <laughs> so katie's grounded and as pun oh yeah and yeah and yeah she like sort of like pushes this uh rumor that ms norbury uh was like a drug pusher and she admits to it because she finally can be a good person um and as punishment uh she joins the mathletes they need a girl on the team so they can get funding uh <laughs> cute uh title nine yeah <laughs> yes exactly um and their, their tournament is, of course, same night as Spring Fling, which is that big, like, spring prom, what have you. And, and Katie is a nominee for Spring Fling Queen, as is Regina George. And there's, like, a funny bit where they're like, I'm going to vote for Regina George because she got hit by a bus. I'm going to vote for Katie because she pushed her into the bus. Yeah, there's just like, like, everyone thinks that Katie is the one who pushed Regina into the bus, and so that sort of, like, tanked her... Uh, her career um as a as a human being i suppose i don't know um but then yeah she's she's finally like i'm gonna be who i am i'm gonna go to this math competition 
and I'm gonna kick uh, this other school's butt. And she does! And she, she answers the final question in the sudden death match. She finds out the limits does not exist. That is the answer to the question. A line that also just like it's inexplicably became yeah, that like... one. That one's the weirdest <laughs> one to have become a meme. I yeah. think because just like how hopeful she was about the it limit does not exist. The limit just, does not exist. Yeah, but it is a weird line. Like I still associate that too with Mean Girls. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so she, she, they, they win the championship, they go back to the prom, and she is voted Spring Fling Queen, and she gets her little plastic crown, Mm -hmm. and she's like, you know what, no, I'm gonna break it up with the little pieces, I'm gonna spread it around, we're all queen, don't you see, and I'm like, girl, there are not enough pieces to go around, you are leaving some people out here, your metaphor does not work. I do love (laughs) the moment wherever, like, she does initially the crack, and you see Damien go, (gasps) like, (laughs) (laughs) good, good performances, um, uh, also, just a random thing, I'm just looking at my notes, um, there's just random, like, African music, Splat like generic like African music splattered throughout the score of the film, just adding to the mania. Um, did her was... husband do the score for the movie as well? No, Tina Jeff, Fey's. G- yeah, Jeff Richmond's did not. Uh, the score is by Rolf Rolf Kent. Uh, so yeah, no, Jeff Richmond uh, did not have a hand in this score. Um, we're about to get to who did though. Um, but yeah, and then. It's great. Uh, Janice offhandedly mentions that she's Lebanese, even though Lizzie Kaplan is an Ashkenazi Jew. Um, whatever, what have you, as, as am I. Um, <laughs> but whatever, it's weird. Um, and the movie ends, and the message is, hey, don't, just don't be mean, please. Like, that's um, the message. nice girls? Yeah, how, yeah, how about a sequel about called Nice, nice girls? girls? Where's, where's that film? It's like... I know, like, that's what the message of the movie is. It does not land for me. Like, as, like, a person who was 16 when they watched it, like, what I left with were the quotes, were how Mm -hmm. funny, like, the plastics were. Like, I knew people who, I kid you not, created burn books because they saw this movie. Yeah. yeah. The meaning's, like, completely lost. And, like, even watching it now as an adult, I'm like, this movie's not great. And I think like, that's also like semi the danger of like all these funny quotes is because like you say those quotes and someone's offhandedly like, Oh, I love mean girls. But now having watched it, I'm just like, why? Like that that sounds, I mean, that's very similar to like a, like a fight club thing where that movie is literally about criticizing toxic masculinity and some of the most toxic men in the world love that movie. Right. It's like, that's that can just what be what happens when a film is trying to criticize uh, toxic behavior, um, just through its own sort mm-hmm. of like either like meme ability or just like through the nature of just like what the film is. It's just it's rather it's adopted by those communities who it is purporting to critique. Um, that is maybe the one similarity that you can give between Mean Girls and Fight Club. Well, there was a funny review uh, on the Letterbox about this where it's like uh, Rachel. McAdams as Regina George could absolutely be in Fight Club, but Brad put Brad Pitt could not have been in Mean Girls. <laughs> sure, I thought uh, it was great because I'm like, yeah, Regina I think it's George, great too. Sure. I... <laughs> um, so 
Mean Girls, the film, an unabashed success mm-hmm. uh, at the box office. It cost seventeen million, and it made, and worldwide it made one hundred and thirty million. So, get pretty good. good Good work yeah. all around. Uh, it didn't get any. Yay. <laughs> yay, feminism. We fixed it. Hashtag. Uh, <laughs> le- <laughs> lean in. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, Tina Fey did get a nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay at the Writers Guild of America Awards. I thought you were about to say Oscars, and I was about to. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not a comedy. <laughs> no, no, no. Mr. Oscar hates comedy. Listen, so. it, it won several Teen Choice Awards and several MTV Movie Awards, but no. Uh, no Oscars for this baby. Um, but as we know, you gotta keep the brand strong. You gotta constantly find ways to monetize your brand. So lo and behold, here we are. Uh, over a decade later. Fifteen years. Fifteen years. Mean Girls the Musical roared onto the scene, to use a um, animal metaphor. Um... Mm, Tina Fey, zoos. What if what if we bought a zoo? Uh, oh, Tina Fey. I didn't say zoos. <laughs> I don't know. My mind is stuck in the world of the animals. Uh, apparently, uh, <laughs> Tina Fey uh, got the rights back for Mean Girls in 2013, so she could adapt it into a musical. Because I'm guessing it was owned by the studio, right? Uh, it's like she, like it, like she probably didn't have the rights to, to Mean Girls as a property to mm. adapt it. Um, Lorne so did. Yeah. <laughs> Lorne. <laughs> Dr. Lorne. Evil himself, Lorne Michaels. Uh, Jeff Richmond. So let's talk, we talked about Tina Fey, because, yeah, and this is, there are a few examples, but there aren't a lot of examples of someone who wrote the original film adapting their own film to be a musical. This is a rare oh. example of that, mm-hmm. um, which, again, is fascinating. Um, to see what happens when uh, a creator revisits their material and tries to adapt it to a different medium. It's, this is a fascinating, that's the word of the day, this is a fascinating uh, <laughs> uh, exercise, uh, fascinating look into that exercise. Um, so the music is by Jeff Richmond, Tina Fey's husband. Um, you may know his music from 30 Rock. He scored that show. No! I mean, yeah, like... I mean, and I, I, again, like, there are obviously a lot of uh, not great things about 30 Rock, even as, even if it does have sort of, yeah, like you said, a wonderful laugh density, wonderful joke density of a show. But that score, I feel like, is so iconic. That jazzy, <laughs> like, boom, Werewolf bar mitzvah. Yeah, werewolf bar mitzvah, yes. But yeah, that was like, bam, bam, ba, 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 ba. Like, it's just such a fun little jazzy score and, and mm-hmm. like and like she he also did the song the music for unbreakable kimmy schmidt uh there's that song daddy's boy yeah. uh that happens <laughs> in that show which is a great moment that he and like he's got this like really fun jazzy old school broadway style to him which i mean you hear glimmers <laughs> of yeah, yeah i know well, and it's and so when i was thinking about this i was just like i kind of I was reading an interview with Tina Fey, and she was like, you know, I saw the Book of Mormon, and I saw what the South Park guys did, and how they were TV guys, and they made the leap to the stage, and it worked. And she's like, well, I want to do that. And I'm like, okay, great. But the South Park guys, again, like, they did the smart thing. They weren't just like, oh, we're going to do South Park on stage. 
They're like, they, I mean, obviously Book of Mormon has its own fucking baggage that it has to deal with. Talking about, like, stereotypes about Africa, like, that show has its own, like, baggage that it needs to reckon with once we, once Broadway comes back. Um, but they, they made a show from whole cloth. Mm-hmm. They took their comic sensibilities and told a new story from it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish that Tina Fey and Jeff Richmond and, and maybe Nell Benjamin, if she was brought on for this project that doesn't exist uh, in my brain. Uh, I wish that they just made a different show. I wish that they had maybe just tried to create a new piece of musical theater that wasn't tied to something. Because now, like, now I feel like Tina Fey is just the mean girls person. Like, that is, like, she is, like, dedicated so much of her writing career to this one property. Well, what's interesting is that, like, whenever the news came out that like they're making the film adaptation of the musical adaptation of being girl great idea perfect idea she literally wait that's happening too yeah oh, man. it's okay. dumb but she quoted saying uh i'm so, i've been with these characters for like 16 years now this is like my marvel cinematic universe and i'm like what no hey, it's to, not to, 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 to quote another broadway musical let it go. Ah, okay. Let it go. Let it go, Tina. Uh, I'm sorry. It's also uh, sad, no, like, the fact that you said that, like, she got the rights back to her uh, script in 2013. And, yeah. like, so the musical, like, opened 2018. It's, like, five years. It, I don't know. That's just sad where it's, like, you had five years to, like, rewrite, adapt this musical. And that's the, like, script <laughs> yeah. that you got? Yeah. Like, yikes it it literally whenever we watched it it was like wow you must have wrote this in like two months like there's no, no, no five effort years. whatsoever five years oh. with an out-of-town tryout sad sad um and so yeah so the so the lyrics for this are by Nell benjamin who we have previously spoke about on this podcast uh in our legally blonde episode so she is here doing the lyrics by herself there are some fun li- again I think everyone here is clearly very talented. I just, yeah, I just, like, wish that they weren't just repurposing this property into something that is just, yeah, be like I like I said in my review and like I still stand by. A, a pale facsimile of the original product. So, mm-hmm. and I gotta say, yeah, I feel like Jeff Richmond's score and just these songs in particular are kind of like the death knell of this show. I feel like the score is just so one note, unfortunately. I Glee Rent is what I wrote down. <laughs> also, Glee there's one song that just sounds like, well, when we get to it, I'll say that. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, we don't, there isn't a lot that I can think of that's really changed from the movie so we can just go through the song oh well, Danielle she, I can see your, a light bulb on your head go I ahead I mean she definitely switched around a lot of like plot things in there mm-hmm. uh which like I mean she had Katie start playing dumber sooner at the sure. Halloween party uh right. which was silly I mean I I'll go through them later but yeah I mean going back to the music the only song I can even pick out of my head to remember is Regina's song. That's it. All of them are just like a wash to me. What? What? Worldburn. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 
Oh, how could you forget uh, Who's House, which uh, in the time-honored oh, Tina Fey sure. fascinating tradition uh, is appropriating a lot of African culture, you know, or African-American culture. She's consistent. She I will say, uh, Danielle, Danielle did bring this up, and I wholeheartedly agree. Um, that song, Whose House Is This?, um, clearly a ripoff <laughs> of what time is it? It's Valentine's. What time is it? It's va it's from Teen Girl Teen Squad. Teen Girl Squad. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I was like, this we're going to kiss something. Several boys. How are we going to oh do it? Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, I would pay good money to have a Teen Girl Squad musical. That would be great. That would be great, actually. Yeah. Um, you can get, uh, we can get Barrett Wilbert uh, Reed, who plays uh, uh, Janice in the Broadway show. She can play uh, the, I don't know, so-and-so. Uh, either way. <laughs> Pick a role. Um, what's her face? <laughs> what's her face? The, other, the, the ugly one. one. <laughs> I was, uh, what's her face for Halloween in college? <laughs> hell yeah. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, I have, I, yeah, Homestar Runner. Bring that. Bring, if we are mining intellectual property in our current capitalist uh, hellscape, bring back Homestar Runner. That's all I Especially ask. Flash player's dead. You can't even look. You can't even watch it anymore. Yeah. So. They've, they've uploaded a lot of them to YouTube. Thank mm -hmm. goodness. Yeah, um, either way, so this show has a framing device, as all good musicals do. Uh, the framing device is that we, the audience, us, are at a freshman orientation at North Shore High, be inexplicably being led by uh, Janice and Damien. Sure. Oh, I didn't get that at all. Well, that's that's it. That's what was <laughs> Which happening. is really telling, you know? So, so what <laughs> happened on planet Earth or like to people who produce and write Broadway musicals in the span from like 2012 to 2016 where they decided that every musical needs to have direct address and it probably should start the show and be uh, the most annoying possible way to do this. Like, Wait, what's every stinking show does that. Wait, name uh, it, well, name, name them. Beetlejuice, we just talked about. Yeah. Sons of direct address to the show. Um, and then, fuck, I just had another one that I thought of and now it's lost. But there's like three that came out. SpongeBob, I don't think is as annoying. No, it's no, no. It's a, it's a less of that. But I just feel like there's so much stuff with somebody if an, walking if to another, the, yeah, to if the another one comes and up. just talking. Mm -hmm. If another one comes uh. up. And listen, I get it. Theater is all about, I, in my world, theater is all about the relationship between the actors and the audience but sure yeah but that's when i think about that that's usually in like a fucking storefront not in a broadway stage yeah, totally and it doesn't have to be so uh, like just overt and obvious like you yeah. can have uh i don't know a, a, a modicum of subtlety to any of this <laughs> that just is gone from the world well it reminds me of like about? that <laughs> reminds me of that onion article where it's like the audience members like, oh shit, like the actors coming into the audience or like, you know, <laughs> yep, yeah. like, and it's like, you, I don't know, like theater makers, I, not theater makers, Broadway, like producers or whatever, uh, like they have to be aware that like, this is a thing that like we make fun of them for and make fun of like, uh, theater for, so why do it? Yeah. Nope. 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 Cash money. They, Cash they money. heard the word Brechtian once in their life, and that's the only thing they took away from it, is um, that the audience then, should be directly addressed. So we get this opening where they sing this like little snippet of a song, Cautionary Tale, uh, which is whatever. It is a song that exists in the musical Mean Girls. Um, and they reference 
twice. They're like, this is a story about how uh, this girl got someone hit by a bus. And then they sing the lyric and gets hit by a bus. And I'm like, what are you Spoiler doing? Alert. Spoilers, my dudes. The whole point of that joke is that, that it's a surprise. You are not expecting a Regina to get hit by a bus. My How do they do that on stage? How does she get hit by a bus on stage? Uh, oh, it's so, projections. Okay. So here's the and like, uh, and like and I don't. The whole I, show the most, is projections. It's so for the, stupid. For the most Those part, skeletons look like shit. For the most part, I don't like talking about production elements because we are an adaptation sure. podcast. We are all about the the written word. But it, yes, it must be said in there. But again, I feel like probably like original Broadway design concepts probably are indicative of like how they write the script, right? Like there's sort of obviously there's a symbiotic relationship on how the design works with well how are we gonna get from scene to scene. So yeah, pretty much Mean Girls is just like a projection arena. Like they are like they bring on like little like chairs and like set pieces every now and then, but it's just like pretty much just a giant projection wall. So they can like zap from location to location to location. Um I don't want. Obviously, it isn't cheap. It probably costs a shit ton of money, and a oh, lot yeah. of work goes into those projections. Like good on, like those designers are probably putting in probably more hours than they're getting paid for. But mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, because also like the fact that like w- there's a section in the musical wherever like Regina's face is projected like a bunch of times on it. So like you as a designer, like, probably have to go in and, like, upload a different file of each time and, like, projection map it. Like, especially with touring pro- touring productions, too, you have to do a whole bunch of, like, remapping of things, depending the space you're in or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah that must have been wild when they were mm-hmm. touring. Yeah, just figuring out... Proje- that, yeah, that is, like, that load-in for every tour stop must have been wild. Oh, my God, yeah. Can't even imagine. Um, but, yeah, so... We got our, our opening number, our de facto opening number, titled It Roars, which is Katie. Um, again, when we get, like, some... This is the second podcast in this season that has had fucking Lion King parodies. Shrek had them as well. Uh, where you had, like, the... Where it's, like... And again, like, you have this sort of, like, uh, like, the drums, like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, Lion King adjacent sounds. And it's just, like, cool. And I love any time that, like, a Broadway musical, like, wants to, like, like make fun, like, allude to Africa. Like, it has to, like, do a Lion King joke or, like, make it sound like fun. Like, Africa's a huge continent. There are a lot of countries in Africa mm-hmm. with their own unique cultures and their own unique sounds. Shut the fuck up. No, nope. Julie Taymor, the only thing we know about it. Yep. God. That's all we know about That's Africa it. There's... Julie Taymor. Figured it all out in the 90s. Oh, my God. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, so she, Katie, Katie comes to high school, and she, and yeah, she's like, I'm ready, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to these teens, and I'm like, you're a teen too, Katie. Why are you calling them teens, you weirdo? Um, and all the kids are on their phones, and they say unsubscribe in real life because they're cool, and it's 2018. They dab at one point, so you know it's a modern show. Uh, Regina's <laughs> mom dabs. Yeah, hell yeah, she's cool and with it. Great. Um, but yeah, uh, then we get, I would say, so Damien, I, I would say, yeah, they make sort of the choice of like, obviously, like they let each character sort of inform their sound. Unfortunately, most of these characters have very similar sounds. Uh, 
but like Damien gets these like big old like Broadway style Broadway style numbers, which again like sound more in tune with the kind of songs you would expect from a Jeff Richmond score. So like Where Do You Belong and Stop, um, they sound like something from Thirty Rock, which is kind of why I like them the most, at least uh, at least musically of the songs in this show. Um, so Where Do You Belong is sort of just like the here are the different clicks in the in mm-hmm. the show school. Here you go. Um, whatever, that's, that's fun. It's a cute, it's, again, catchy, fun number. They use lunch trays in some fun choreo. Oh yeah, the, the show was directed and choreographed by Casey Nicolor, uh, one of five directors who gets to direct a musical on Broadway these days. Um, he directed The Prom as well, uh, Something Rotten, uh, The Book of Mormon, uh, is, yeah, there are like, there are like five people who get to direct, uh, musicals on Broadway, and I'm pretty sure they are all white men. Um, of course. Yeah. Yeah, why not? No offense, but like three of them are British too, right? Probably. No offense. Listen, we are in the midst, (laughs) we are in the midst with a reckoning of, (laughs) the time we're recording this, we are in the midst of a reckoning with British culture. Like, Uh, I'm fine. (laughs) I get it. Down with the monarchy, Ab- abolish, abolish the monarchy! It's hey, stupid. Hey, here on Movie the Musical, we love to ask questions. And one of our questions today is, why is there still a monarchy in, in the why UK? Why we have a queen? <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we meet the plastics. It's, get that, the, the song is pretty self-explanatory. We meet them. <laughs> and they invite, uh, they invite uh, Katie into their group. Um, Katie uh, meets Aaron in math and she sings a, a cute little song called Stupid with Love. Oh, and yeah, I guess the musical, yeah, I guess they do make her specifically from Kenya. Sure. Yeah. Great. They allude to the fact that when she was five. They literally probably just like picked a country and like, yeah. yeah. That's it. Um, they allude to the fact that like when she was five, she liked a boy. And the boy ran away, and because he was Kenyan, he ran fast. Ha ha! You get it? Yeah, Do you yeah, get yeah. it? Uh, very silly. Um, whatever. And then, yeah. <laughs> um, the next song is Apex Predator, which is just again continuing these animal metaphors. Um, and you like you get like yeah again this continued thing of like the high schoolers pretending to be animals, and then Gretchen Wieners like still makes bird noises even outside of the fantasy. Of them being animals. Whatever. The musical's weird. Um, again, like, I don't e- even like delving on these songs. Because they're just, like, so unmemorable. They sort mm-hmm. of run into each other. They're yeah. not really distinct in any kind of way. The only one that stood out to me in the first act. I think it's the first act. Someone gets hurt. Yes, the that's the end of, yes, that is near the end of the Because it yeah. sound the only reason it stood out to me is because it sounds exactly like that Conchita Worst Eurovision song that she won with. Like it sounds almost <laughs> identical and would have been written around the same time. So. Wait, which song is that? In the Conchita Girls? Worst uh Rise Like a Phoenix and uh Someone Gets Hurt is the name of this one. It even sounds like sort of like a Bond song, which oh, is kind of what the wait, Conchita Worst song is. Is that the Regina like. song when she's at the party? Yes. That's the one that sticks out to me. Yeah. Gotcha. All the other ones are like, Meh. don't even know. Meet more. There's uh, a tap number. That's cool, I guess. It's weird. <laughs> it's honestly it so weird. weird. I'm just like, why are you having them tap? 
Like, it doesn't make sense for the style of the musical as well. You have, like, such this futuristic, like, everything's projections. Everything is, like, you know, social media and all that. And to have it, like, uh, allude to, like, the yesteryear of, like, Broadway and have this big old tap number, it's strange Wait, which song are you talking about? It's Damien's song. I don't know, song. I just heard tapping. Yeah, it's in the second act or something like that. It's definitely a Damien song. Yeah, well, no, stop. I think it makes it sense stop. For, yeah. yeah, but I think it makes sense for Damien to have those because he's like a Broadway kid. So he would mm, have an okay. old style tap number. I guess, yeah, I guess so. Especially because, like, they do add the fact that, like, allegedly he's in show choir. Yeah. I totally forgot I think, about I think that. Yeah. I, I think it's okay for him. But yeah, but, but again, those, that's why those numbers stick out to me because they are at least distinct and not just like flowing into each other like every other song in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, Gretchen sings a song uh, called What's Wrong With Me, mm-hmm. um, which okay, I mean, I guess like the musical does try and go the extra step of like humanizing these characters a little more. Like, it, as much as one can. Like, so they have this song where Gretchen sings about why she does what she does, why she's so subservient to uh, Regina. Um, do, make of that what you will. I think it's it's definitely sadder. Yeah. Like... Oh, it's absolutely sadder. <laughs> uh, and then, so then we got another, we got a reprise of Stupid With Love with Aaron and, uh, uh, my goodness, Katie singing to each other. And it ends with her being like, what day is it? And he's like, October 3rd. It's like, my new favorite day. And that's Mm -hmm. the button to the song. And then the projection behind them says October 3rd. And it's funny because, as you remember from the movie, that's the thing, like, if you hadn't seen the movie, you'd be like, okay, October 3rd, that's the day it was. But But I guess I still think that, like, you say October 3rd to anyone nowadays, they know it as Mean Girls Day. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it is, like... So much of this show is just like you recognize this from the movie. Like I'm saying, not... even a person who has not seen the movie knows it. I I know it's just like, but again, it's like it is just like it's banking on that nostalgia. It's banking banking on. Oh yeah, for it's, sure. It's cultural permeation. Uh, then you get sexy, which is of course a song about Halloween, sung by Karen. And this is just again, this is where we get to this sort of issue. So Karen is a. Uh, Karen, as we've uh, previously established, a stupid character who says stupid things because uh, she is an idiot. Um, even she's not mean, but she is an idiot. Uh, this is this is what they're telling us. Um, but then she has this lyric in this song where she says, um, "This is modern feminism talking. I expect to run the world in shoes I cannot walk in." And I'm like, that is a clever lyric that Karen would not say. That is a very sly turn of phrase that makes that I mean like that's um that's like the lyricist showing their work and not the character mm-hmm. actually speaking their truth. Mm-hmm. Like like yeah, you're like it's a funny point that you're making and I get your perspective, but Karen would never say that line. No. It's like a line that he typed and was like, ah, yes, I've done it, you know. <laughs> that kind of a line that lyricist writes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, too clever. Too, too clever. Oh, and I, yeah, I will say, so yeah, so like every word in this show is scripted by uh, by a woman, which is, you know, fucking great. Tina Fey wrote the book and Nell Benjamin wrote the lyrics. Um, but I, I think pretty much the majority, if not all of the production team is male. Danielle, is that correct? Yeah, the music directors, 
and the stage managers are the only uh, non-men in this show, which... In the, in the Broadway it, production. In the Broadway production, which, of course, is, like, it's sad that it's not surprising, you know? Yeah. Yeah, not great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so then we get, uh, someone gets hurt, which you said, that Danielle, you said is the one song that you remember. The one song I remember. <laughs> That's a big takeaway. I remember one song from this show. Yeah, good on you. Uh, then we get Revenge Party, which is kind of a catchy song. Yeah, okay. Ish. I did make a note about this whenever watching it. I was like, Revenge Party, and this song is so happy. And sure. it's like a little too happy where you're like, it's a the joyous go- occasion. The joyous mm. occasion of ruining a person's life. Like, ugh, not great. <laughs> You know, it's because it does, it does, it does have a little bit of Thirty Rock energy to it, kinda. Um, which again, like, and uh, and then th- there's like the allusion to Glen Coco, which again is just like ba- again banking on you remembering that from the film. Mm-hmm. Ah, boring. Uh, they change the that uh, Regina is cheating on Shane Oman. They change it. They are no longer in the projection room. They are cheating in the lion costume. Which I guess is a funny thing. I think it's funny with the costume design because, like, the lion does come out and his belly is so big, kind of giving the illusion that, uh, like, one of them is standing and one of them is, like, being hoisted up. I think I think it's a funny visual gag. But, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's uh, it. And then the... and then Oh, and then they change it at the Winter Pageant performance, uh... Instead of uh, like them kicking the boombox off stage and them having to sing the song a cappella, uh, because Regina has gained so much weight, haha, it's funny. Uh, her skirt falls off, and like there's a big picture of her butt that goes all around social media, and that's sort of how that gets ruined, I guess. And Katie's like the only one who like was actually like singing and whatever. It's strange. It's very uh, that whole thing is strange. They like completely rewrote that and rewrote the like. Uh, cracking of Gretchen Wieners. Like, they added the addition of, with the candy cane grams, they added the addition of, like, Katie, you're my best friend, where in a movie, like, Regina never says that, or, like, fake says that in the candy canes. And, like, technically, like, Gretchen in the movie, like, doesn't crack until after Jingle Bell Rock, but in the musical, they make it all happen beforehand. And they even change the song. Which I think is the weirdest part of it too, because maybe like, they couldn't get the rights for Jingle Bell Rock for whatever. Is it a is it a copyrighted song? I don't know. It must be. I don't it's know. not that old. Wait, but then it's stupid because it's like, <laughs> why? Like I don't know. It seems so weird to even include it because that song is so tied to that moment and vice no, but, versa. But it, no, but again, it's like if you're going to see a, a stage version of Mean Girls, you're looking for that moment. That image is so memorable. So you got to recreate that for the stage version. Give the people what they want. Free enterprise, baby. I didn't uh, want this. Gotta... <laughs> so yeah, so the, the act ends. They sing Fearless. You're so fearless. Whoa. Uh, you know, I don't fearless. remember this. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> we watched it this morning, too, which is sad. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, we, yeah, we listened to it this morning. Uh, not great. Not a, not a good show. Um, yeah, so the second act uh, begins with stop. 
Again, another sort of Broadway-style number um, about the dangers of social media um, and about acting on your impulses. We get another Karen lyric uh, that, again, does not make sense within her character, where so Karen, like, sings this uh, thing where she's like, I accidentally sent nude pictures of me when I was 13 to some guy. Uh, <laughs> that's not the lyric, but whatever. Uh, and then, but then she sings, like, stop... Because I'm actually a human being and not a prop. And I'm like, you're the dumb character. You are a literal prop. You are the... a prop. <laughs> yeah. Movie. yeah. They have literally made your character a prop. Why would you say this? Um, either way, uh, we get another uh, reprise of What's Wrong With Me that is sung by both Gretchen and Regina's mom. I did like that moment because yeah. it did bring in like it like I don't even think in the movie it does it with Regina's mom of like kind of like have her be a mom for a second and like have that yeah. worry. Um, but with this, it is like as I, I'm sure every mom in that audience is like, oh yeah, what is wrong with me? My child is like you know yeah. being ridiculous right now. Yeah, I was just yeah. We get uh, so yeah. So now instead of. I, again, another like inexplicable change. Instead of going to see Lady Smith's Black Mombazo, yeah. we're going to go see Neil deGrasse Tyson. We <laughs> Strange. What a weird substitution. Yeah, it's like, it's, uh, yeah, you could have kept Lady Smith's Black Mombazo. I also feel like they make the mom character so much more of a stereotypical, yes. this is a white woman who's obsessed with African culture. Like, there, they, they make that such a distinction. That's kind version. of good, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's good, but I'm like, now I want you to, like, reference that. Which, I mean, granted, we know Tina Fey wouldn't ever be able to, like, reference that. She would just be able no. to make a joke no. of it, but not, like, actually uh, talk about it. Cause, Fascinating. Yeah. Because <laughs> even in the movie, I was I was telling Ben this, there's some... What, in whatever version, rewrite or whatever, there's got to be a subplot of just like, hey, white woman, why are you so obsessed with African culture? <laughs> yeah. And they never really delve into it mm -hmm. at all. It's just, it's it's a given. Um, and then, of course, so we get the, the house party sing where they sing, what time is it? It's Valentine's. Great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, pretty much all the same shit happens. Oh, yeah. Uh, Katie and Aaron sing this song called More is Better which I, I couldn't even tell. Like, it's, it, le it went what in one ear and out the other as soon as I listened to it. Um, I feel like most of these songs did, honestly. They're just, like, so, like, em they're empty. They're just empty pieces of songwriting that... Uh, so, like, what? Like, actually, let's... Can we actually, like, dig into this? Because I feel weird just, like, saying this about, like, every single song and not really, like, digging into just, like... Like, what is it about these songs in this show that are just, like, so nothing? If anyone, if anyone wants to speak to this. I don't know. I think part of it's that, like, like, like we've said about the lyrics, they don't... I mean, none of them really feel that, like, character-driven at yeah. all. Mm -mm. So that doesn't help. They could pretty much be sung by anybody because it feels like they looked at the script or the movie and were like, okay... Here's a song, 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 here's a song. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Jeff Richmond, go write a bunch of musical songs 
and then we'll just put them in there and I'll write these lyrics and, and maybe we'll just pick one and one and match them and make them work. It almost yeah. feels like they're pretty interchangeable. Yeah, was... it definitely like, I mean, that imagery of like, all right, so like here's a timeline of the story. Song goes here, goes, song goes here. It seems so formulaic. And the fact that like, I mean, the fact that like, she barely like rewrote this at all. She just like added social media into there it. Are, there are, yeah, a lot of the dialogue is very similar to the original screenplay. Yeah, and true. I think like even the fact where like if Tina like wanted to like transition to the stage, like she could have done it, but I think she was so scared in her mind. So that's why she stuck so closely. So she knew it was going to be bankable. So like it. it they didn't even try. They just... Would, yeah. Yeah. It's not challenging, and it's not challenging the audience whatsoever, and it's... Uh, it's... Yeah, this... It's whole thing is gross, and, like, the fact that, like, it is one of those musicals where, like, they are putting, like, the stunt casting of, like, what? These, like, internet... Uh, yeah, like they put like some TikTok, like, TikTok people. actor in oh as Aaron. It's just it a money strange. machine. It's not, uh, which sucks that like, it's almost, it's like not art at some point, you know? I would say, I mean, looking looking at the song list again, none of, I would say for the most part, none of these songs are saying anything that wasn't said in the original uh, film, right? Because yeah, this is, I mean, this is something that we allude to uh, oftentimes throughout many episodes of this show that ideally a song is going to uh, speak an inner truth of a character that was left unspoken in the original film version. And I would say for the most part, most of these songs are things that are said pretty much outright by characters in the film, yeah? Mm -hmm. Like, they are just like, yeah. they are just like, they are ballooning moments from the film. They are sort of like, they are taking moments and inflating them for the stage, like I said in the review, to telegraph to the rafters. But there is nothing really new being said in these songs that you're not getting from the original film. I think that I would, yeah, just sort of, that's that's I think for me sort of the biggest sort of mistake in adaptation is just like the songs don't add anything that mm -mm. you wouldn't get from just watching the film. Well, it adds like an hour of runtime. <laughs> 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 yeah. Add, yeah, no, it adds an hour of runtime. It adds eighty dollars to the ticket price. It adds you know. it adds another revenue stream uh for the studio uh mm -hmm. to make uh money off of this IP. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point, Ben, where it's like they're not saying anything new. It's just like saying their point, but saying it in so many X, Y, and Z ways and then yeah. putting it to a melody. Yeah. Um so yeah, so the rest of Act Two, yeah, you get World Burn. A song where things happen, where, where Regina. Oh, is that uh, the one where, where she's happen. over the photocopier, like doing yeah. the burn book? Oh, yeah. I was gonna bring this up earlier. Uh, a plot point they changed in this is that with the burn book, because in, in the movie they like bring it out, like kind of like they have been doing it. They still do it, but in the musical, it's Regina's mom who is like, "Oh, I was going through your closet and I found this." Yeah. So she's like reintroducing it. So I think I thought that was fascinating of just like they they haven't been writing in this for a while. It's the mom who like uh, reintroducing it to them and that's how they start again. 
It is also, if you're going to update it for like Gen Z and add social media stuff, they wouldn't have a burn book. They just put it on a whisper app, you know, <laughs> or like have an anonymous Tumblr account yeah. where they posted a bunch of bullshit. It would be yeah. a Tumblr, not... yeah. Again, yeah, but again, like the burn book is such a such a memorable piece of iconography. You can't mm-hmm. adapt that. It has to be kept a burn book. Meat, yeah. meat mark. Yeah. Uh, so then you get... make, did the playbills look like burn books? Because that no. would be fun. No. Nah. <laughs> That's not even something cool like that. No, Brad, why would creative. you want to bring? Yeah, Brad, why would you want to bring uh, some like wit and, and and variety into this? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> How dare you? So then we get a song that I, when I remember when this musical was coming up, this next song was like positioned as like the big song from the musical. It was posi- like I believe they released it as a single. Uh, what? I'd rather be me. Wait, the Barrett Weed song? Yeah. Yes, yeah, ja- yeah, Janice's song. Oh yeah, that was that was good. Yeah, and listen, it's, it's fine. It's, it is a it is a typical pop contemporary pop Broadway rocks rock eleventh hour song. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's it's fascinating to give that to Janice, um, who is again Barrett Wilbert Wheat, who will come up again in our Heather's episode. Um, killer killer voice. Um, sort of plays Janice like Aubrey Plaza. If she was in, uh, if she was in Mean Girls, uh, uh, much uh, m- closer to Daria than than Janice in the film, actually, a much more chill energy. I disagreed with this version of Janice because I think in the movie she is so just like anti everything that like she is told to like really participate in and everything like that. I think it would have been more interesting if you had Janice like be in the show, obviously, but not like participate really in the songs or choreography or anything of the world. And then you get to her like 11th, what is it? 11th o'clock hour. 11 o'clock number. I was like, I said 11th hour number, which is not a thing, but her 1130 number. Uh, and like, and that, then... term doesn't, that term doesn't apply anymore. Broadway shows start at 8 p.m. That's that show, that number doesn't. Yeah. But I think like, yeah, that's the encore now is 11th hour number or 11 o'clock. Number. Yeah. But I think it would have been more interesting if like, it had like more of an impact. If like this number she had never seen before. And then all of a sudden she is singing. And she and it turns out she has this like incredible voice and is like speaking this truth. Yeah, that would make dramaturgical sense, but no, no, no. I'm sure you ask this team of Mean Girls and Musical what a dramaturg is, and they'd be like, "What? We just had Tina." Like, no. <laughs> um. So either way, uh, she gets hit by the bus. But again, that's been alluded to, so it's not a surprise. Or who 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 gives a dang? Uh. Uh, Katie, they have this song called uh, Do This Thing, which is the pump-up song for the mathletes. Um, mm. Whatever, again, one in one ear out the other. But you, you do get to end the song with uh, Katie singing, The Limit Does Not Exist. They sure. also made the Marymount girl mean, which yeah. was sad. Like, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, I, the show is called Mean Girls. I know, but like... <laughs> In the movie, she is just like this innocent girl, doesn't say anything, and Katie is projecting all these things onto her. And it's like, why, I don't know, why given the chance you are going to give this character who didn't necessarily, like, have a personality in the movie, make her me? Like, I don't know, it's strange. 
Um, but then, yeah, and then you get uh, the end. Uh, Karen, like, has this moment where she is, like, kind of smart on the phone. She says this thing about, like, the rule of twos. They give this, I don't know, again, they, like, they, they try to, like, give these extra levels of depth that just, like, again, like, fall flat. I would say they, they do the same for, like, Regina in the bathroom. They attempt to, like, humanize her a little bit near the end of the show. Um, and then you end the show with a song called uh, I See Stars. You know, we're all stars. Oh, like, yeah, because just like, it's, it's just like Shrek before us, we are all stars. Oh, man. Well, she's... Somebody! <laughs> somebody! Well, the whole Icy Stars thing is referencing back to whenever her and Aaron were in her bedroom. And he was like, what was Kenya like? And she was like, oh, I remember sure, yeah. all these stars. So, Great. a connection. <laughs> Man, <laughs> profound. A profound Deep. piece of musical theater. Um, and we and again, uh, the message is don't be mean. Uh, good message. And you know what? Unabashedly, good message. Don't be mean. Um, which and I would especially say don't be mean to marginalized communities. <laughs> Just a uh, fascinating was piece it, of messaging there. <laughs> was so this was still touring whenever the world stopped. But like, was this still on Broadway as well? I so think th yes, so. this was this was touring, uh, and it was on Broadway when the world burned, if you will, uh, <laughs> alluding to the show. Oh yeah, so it was on Broadway. Uh, they did announce during the pandemic that it will not be reopening on Broadway when things come back so it is done the broadway production is done i'm i'm, I'm sure they are going to try and tour it again because i think it was very i mean it was pretty successful on broadway it ran i mean it ran until the pandemic um it, but it was expensive though mm -hmm. so yeah the original it, uh, i mean it made like four million dollars in its first few weeks which is pretty good for a broadway show um pre did pretty well um at the tony awards 12 tony nominations Zero wins. Well, um, that's good. My my favorite thing. So mm -hmm. this was the same. This was the year. Uh, the other nominees, and we'll talk about a few of these nominees in other episodes. The other 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 nominees were the band's visit, which won. Uh, Frozen. And SpongeBob. Um, and so obviously Mean Girls did not win. Um, my favorite thing, so the Tony Awards are really stupid because uh, they do not know who, they do not know what their audience is. So they put a lot of, they don't televise, unlike the Oscars, they do not televise all of the award winners. They don't, like some of the speeches they like put pre-show or they put them like in the commercial breaks. But like things like best score will go in the commercials. I'm like, why would you do, like, like best and best book and like all of these awards, like... Like, the people who wrote the show, why are they not being broadcast? You're saying that, like, their work doesn't matter. Like, what are you doing? It's really gross. Um, but I remember explicit... I remember, like, this year. So Best Score was in the commercial break. But they made a point of broadcasting the Best Book category. Because they just assumed that Tina Fey was going to win. And they were like, oh, well, we gotta have Tina Fey uh, give a speech on television. Like, she has to. And of course, she did not win Best Book that year. Went to Itamar Moses for the fans' visit. And I was just like, all right, well, I guess Itamar Moses gets to speak on national television. <laughs> Good for you, my guy. <laughs> um, very strange. Um, I, yeah, I mean, as I said, I don't like Mean Girls the Musical. I don't think it is a successful 
piece of theater. I don't think it's a successful piece of adaptation. I think it is boring. I think it is just, like, unentertaining. I think it is, like, maybe the... And again, like I said, it is kind of the... It is the movie that, that turned me into the Joker of wanting to make a podcast <laughs> about movies that have been turned into musicals, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, yeah, it is my dark, twisted origin story of just, like, why do we do this thing? Mm -hmm. you, like, what is... It is such, For me, it is the pinnacle of taking a brand that does not need to be adapted into another medium and doing it in the worst possible way, where you are not revealing anything new by adapting it, and all you are doing is paying homage to the thing that was previously there. You, you gain nothing from this adaptation. It is an mm -hmm. empty thing. You also miss the easiest nerdy musical theater joke possible that I can't believe is not in the show, which is having a song that just goes, we're your mean girls. Like, why would you not make a direct <laughs> Dream Girls Me reference? and Ben were singing that earlier really? today. Really? Oh yes. my gosh. Ever since I heard it was a musical, that's all I was like, we're your mean girls. Yeah. Should have been. Mean girls will always burn you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Good there you go. Um, to be fair, I would love to see I would love to see a rewritten Mean Girls. However, I would love to see it written by not Tina Fey. Uh, she has been with this too long. She cannot see outside of this yeah. universe she has created. I want to see it where it is written by like uh, millennials or Gen Zers or something. And I also want to see uh, characters get repercussions. No one gets repercussions from being mean in this. The most you get is Katie in the musical being suspended. Like, that's it. I mean, so, I mean, uh, Reg Regina gets hit by a bus, which isn't great, uh, to be But fair. that's not because she's mean. Yeah, no, that's true. It, it just happens to her. This is true. It just happens to her. And, like, I think it's going to get the message so much better across. Because, like, don't be mean. Yeah, sure. But what if I'm, like, not you know, what if I'm going to continue being me? You get a musical what written I, about yeah. it. <laughs> what if I'm just mean and I look both ways while I'm crossing the street? <laughs> then what? Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm done. I'm done dunking on Mean Girls. I mean, this was kind <laughs> of the... No, I, I am. Like, and this was kind of the reason why I wanted to get this done in this first season. So it's just like, it's out of the... I feel like this is like one of the thorns in my side of the premise of this podcast. It is done. We are over it. And I never have to think about this show ever again. But what shows do we want to think about? What movies that have been adapted into musicals do we want to think about? Because Danielle Stack, <laughs> uh, at the end of every episode of Movie the Musical, we ask our guest a very important question. So, Danielle, if you could adapt a movie into a musical that has not been adapted already, what movie would you choose? Okay. So here was my thought process for this, because I knew this was going to be a question asked. I was going down the path of what movie can I choose that's going to be, like, too much to adapt and also, like, the dumbest to adapt. 
that we put an end to adapting movies into musicals. <laughs> right. I like this scorched earth strategy, really. So, okay. My first answer was Fargo. However, Ooh. now... Could the, be good. I know, that's the thing. It could be good. <laughs> <laughs> because I was just like, oh, wait, no, you can do it. Because, like, you don't do it where it's like there's big numbers or choreography. You take it so seriously. You take it mm-hmm. folksy music. There's no audience address whatsoever. It's all characters. Marge doesn't come in until act two, and she's the only character who doesn't sing. She is finally the comic relief of the show. Um, yeah, so that's, unfortunately, that, that was my answer, but then it turned out to be good. So then I switched it up, still staying in the <laughs> Coen Brothers world. <laughs> uh, my next answer is uh, No Country for Old Men. Because okay, I yeah, think <laughs> you do it, but, like, you still do it under the premise of a musical. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sounds awful. So, like, I, hate, I hate this so much. <laughs> no, because, like, the whole thing of it is that, like, the movie has, like, only 16 minutes of music. So you label it as a musical, and so you get the audience already so nervous of, like, oh, my God, there's going to be so much murder when is the music just going to come in? You make him so uneasy, and then you don't get a song until the very last second. Stupid. You don't want Anton Shiger <laughs> to sing a song about like if if your choice brought you here, was it the right choice? Like that could be a that could be an Act One finale right away. It could be, yeah. <laughs> ben oh, hates my gosh. answers. <laughs> I no, I don't. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm a few things, a few things. Um, number one, Danielle convinced me that she was going to go the other way, where she was going to give No Country as her joke answer, and then she was going to say Fargo, but she flipped it like, like a coin in the hand of Anton Chigurh, she flipped it on me. I never said that. <laughs> you said that you, No Country was your joke answer, and Fargo was the answer you were going to give. Oh, No Country's still my joke answer. Like, <laughs> that's never going to happen. <laughs> Fargo can happen. I, uh, speaking of Fargo, there was that meme going on, like, a few months back, where they were like, oh, uh, take a movie and keep one human character, but everyone else is played by Muppets. I do really like the idea of Fargo, where Marge is the only human and everyone else is a Muppet. I think that's a great premise. Uh, Muppet Fargo, make it happen. Internet, do your thing. Uh, hashtag Muppet Fargo. Uh, (laughs) and yeah, I mean, it's... You know, and like reference the band's visit, uh, which which will come up at some point on this podcast. You know, it is so funny. Like sometimes we do say these things. You know, it's like, oh, no country for old men. But like, how could you do that? It's so serious. I don't know. Like I, I think we can. Uh, like in all seriousness, I'm taking I'm taking your joke and I am earnestly stretching it because I do. See, I that's do what happened the- with me in Fargo because I stretched it and then I was like, oh shit, this is like a thing now. That could be good. That sounds kind of yeah. good. No, like, and I love, I love yeah. the challenge of being like, how can you take this thing that is so melancholic uh, on its surface and find earnestness by adapting it into a piece of? I mean, like, I know it is a semi-controversial piece of theater, uh, deservedly, but like, Girl from the North Country is a very serious piece of oh. musical theater writing. 
but you know it mm-hmm. uses its Bob Dylan mm-hmm. songs in a really great way. Not a great way of portraying uh, mentally ill characters, unfortunately. I think that show has a really uh, not great reckoning with uh, characters with uh, mental disabilities in that show. But um, mm-hmm. I'd say just as a piece of serious musical theater, I think it succeeds um, despite uh, it's not great subject matter. Um, yeah, because like even remembering it, like a lot of the songs, like they're not sung to the characters. A lot of them are like direct addresses to the audiences. Yeah, uh, which the, the, was the, the, the woman singing like a Rolling Stone, just like a, a freaking like right. That's the song she sings, right? And it's just like so. It's such a yeah. devastating moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's a jukebox. That's for that's for my podcast five years from now. Jukebox the musical. Uh, where we <laughs> How dissect many podcasts are you gonna musicals. have? <laughs> one, just this one, and the bonus one on our Patreon. Uh, that's it. And the other one, and the <laughs> other one. Uh, Danielle Stack. Thank you so much for yes. joining us today on Movie the Musical. Um, is there anything yeah. else that you would like to plug while you are still here? Um, I mean, go, I mean, one, check out Jackalope Theater, the theater I'm a part of. We're doing a digital season. Uh, lots of new play development. Uh, we got some stuff coming uh, end of April, early May. Um. Nothing really. Just want to plug. Just be nice to people, I guess. <laughs> the lesson yeah. from Don't mean be a girls. mean girl. Be a nice girl. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't be a mean girl. <laughs> be a nice human. Um. I want to thank you, Danielle Stack, for being here, sharing your words of wisdom, being a just a nice, a nice human I mean, being. We're also in the same home, so. <laughs> don't. Don't give the game away. Uh, as always, I want to thank Bran Moorhead for producing and editing this show. I want to thank Emily Harrington for our artwork. I want to thank M. Modaf and Josh Stanley for our kick Us theme song. If you like the show, be sure to rate us, review us, subscribe for future episodes. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Movie the Musical. If you want to support the podcast and get some sweet bonus content, go to patreon.com slash moviethemusical and consider becoming a monthly member where you will not only support this independent venture, you will also get access to our bonus content, our bonus podcast, Movie the Musical the Movie, where we talk about movies that are musicals. Some fun stuff happening there. Keep on singing. So, uh, you like cloth? That's that's a Team Girl Squad reference. Whatever. (laughs) The fans will get it! We are your mean girls! Whoa! (laughs) Ha ha ha!